everybody and welcome back to another episode of Natural Science Daily. First of all, I want to apologize because this episode is going to get out a little bit later than they normally do. In all honesty, I had no idea what I wanted to do for this week's episode. So I was going back and forth literally up till this morning until I was watching a video, a live stream on Facebook that one of my family members put out because at the family farm there are these giant maple trees on the front lawn and they're pretty close to the house and during a massive snowstorm that we got at the end of last week in Maine, one of the big limbs came down on the power line and my uncle realized that the tree was pretty rotten slash not entirely sound all the way through and with a windstorm predicted for it today, they decided to cut the tree down so that way it wouldn't hit the house because it's a giant old farmhouse and it'd be a really big bummer. So I was watching this morning as the arborists cut apart the tree and people were asking questions on the live feed um, to my cousin and that kind of thing. And I kind of looked at Jack, who for those of you who don't know, is my boyfriend. He's a logger. If you listen to the first episode, it's a mini-sode, you can kind of hear some of his input on things. But anyways, I feel like quite often different terms in forestry and forest professionals are kind of misconstrued or tossed around like interchangeably when they're really not. So later on, I'm going to have Jack come in and we're going to talk about some of the terms that often get mixed up. So that way, maybe when you're talking to someone about forest professionals in the future, you use the right terminology. So before we get into that, I do want to have a nature fact of the week because I haven't done one of those in a hot minute. And to keep on theme, we're going to talk trees. So my junior year of college, I guess, I was in a forest ecology class and because I had a forestry minor in college and I decided I was going to take forest ecology even though I had no idea what I was doing. And the professor, Dr. Sean Fravor, was talking and said something that my little uneducated wildlife ass was completely shook to hear that just because you count the rings on a tree apparently that doesn't always give you a super true age. This is not always the case. Sometimes it's pretty accurate, but there are also times that like it just doesn't give the proper age. And this kind of like had me shocked when I first heard it because I was like, what? That's like the only fact I know about trees. But it turns out, contrary to popular belief, ring growth of trees is not always annual. So in the past, when you looked at a die cut or a cookie of a tree you can count what are called the rings which are typically put on year to year is not actually an annual event so occasionally a ring doesn't grow during a year this is called locally absent or missing so there may not have been enough nutrients to really put on a lot of growth for that year so a ring wouldn't have fully formed there may be something kind of minuscule to show that it existed as a year but you can't usually may need like a microscope to see that kind of thing or a ring just won't show or they'll be super close together so you won't notice that it's an actual ring or occasionally more than one ring can grow during a year called a false for that year so that can happen sometimes if the bands of the tree for the early wood or the late wood like during the growing season kind of shifts so the colors look like they are separate but it's actually from that one year and that can be from 
a lot of nutrients that year and the tree just had a really good growing year or some other things. But yeah, so that's why counting the, the rings in a tree cookie may not always show that amount. So there could be some extra rings making you think it's older or there could be missing rings making you think it's smaller or younger. Size doesn't have to do with tree age, sorry. And there are some trees like palm trees that don't grow rings. So you can't age them even by looking at the rings. However, you can determine an age by looking at the rings, but you're not counting the rings. You're looking for events in the rings. And this is what dendrochronology is. What's dendrochronology, you ask? Well, dendrochronology is the scientific method of dating tree rings to the exact year that they were formed. So you may not be able to count individual rings accurately all the time to get an age, but you can look at events during a growing period. Like these scientists can see when a fire occurred during growth or if there was a drought or a really wet year. And it's absolutely amazing, but they can look at a core sample, which is where you bore into a tree and pull out this little straw sized sample of a tree just to get all the rings in order without having to kill the tree like you would do if you cut the tree and got a tree cookie. But yeah, so dendrochronologists are literal wizards who can go back in time and line up an individual ring to a year in which that event occurred and learn things about that tree's lifetime. So that is our nature fact of the week. It's kind of a long one, but I just... It's so interesting and I feel like it's something that a lot of people don't fully realize or know about. So if dendrochronology interests you, I fully encourage you guys to do more research on it. I want to be fully clear and say that I only have a minor in forestry and I am not a dendrochronologist. So if you're listening to this and you are and you don't like the full description I gave, I am more than welcome. You are more than welcome to message me and we can fix it. Okay, so now that we have the natural science fact of the week i want to get into our little mini interview slash conversation for this week and the mini-sode so i am here with jack he traveled all the way from across the room uh thank you for being on the podcast today yeah thanks for having me um (laughs) so this week i wanted to talk about kind of as we had discussed earlier over uh you know the coffee table that the terms uh, arborist, forester, and logger are often kind of mixed together and I feel like misused or used interchangeably when that's they don't have the same job or perform the same tasks. So I didn't know if we could possibly talk about those a little bit more. Yeah, sure. Before we get right into it, do you want to kind of explain to the audience what you do and why I feel like you have the uh, credentials to talk about this a little bit? Absolutely. My name is Jack Houts. I came to the state of Maine from Connecticut in the fall of 2014 to study forestry uh, here at the University in Orono. From there, I've worked towards a Bachelor's of Science in Forestry, and I've also worked in the forestry and logging industry since 2014. I've done a lot of different things, uh, but the majority of the work that I have done is as a contract hand logger. Um, I'll get into that a little bit more, but basically I like to run around the woods with a chainsaw. But through some of the work that you've done over the years, you've worked as a logger, you've worked with foresters, and 
you also have worked with arborists and I feel like quite often people are like, oh, you're a forester, but that has its own set of credentials that really kind of counts to make you a forester, so. Yep, Um, so I've worked professionally in the industry um, as an intern during my summers at school, but uh, more recently I've worked as a contract logging professional. Um, basically, I am hired to cut down trees for a landowner, uh, making them money on their woodlot or their woods that they own. And more recently, I've actually returned to the university as part of the team uh, of university forests, where the land managers for the university and the university foundations 15,000 acres across the state. So when we talk about arborist, logger, and forester, although they can all work together, the terms are not interchangeable. Let's start with an arborist. An arborist is usually considered what a conventional tree climber is. They are someone who you know, works in your dooryard to help prune a large tree or possibly take down a tree that is overhanging your house. They can work in the residential sense, like we just discussed, or they can work in the more industrial sense, helping clear large power lines um, of hazard trees that are kind of reaching or touching the lines. But arborists are usually ones that climb trees, use ropes, um, use bucket trucks. And arborists can also extend to health and disease. Uh, There are some arborists that are trained in using herbicides uh, and different methods of basically giving trees vaccinations like you would for a person um, from different tree pests and diseases. A logger is pretty synonymous with a woodcutter in the state of Maine, and that is usually someone who is cutting down trees either with chainsaws and cable skidders or heavy equipment in the woods. So to better explain this, uh, I was recently told this great analogy by a coworker of mine. An arborist and a logger are both painters, but one is an artist and one is a commercial house painter. Both of them use brushes, both of them use cans of paint, but they do so in very different circumstances with very different outcomes. An arborist cuts possibly one tree a day, but during that time, they're working on one tree that is overhanging a house, overhanging a driveway, maybe leaning up into a power line. On the other hand, logging is more production-based. Usually, loggers are cutting down trees on a larger scale for a different purpose. Loggers manage the woods, while an arborist usually works on individual trees. A forester works with loggers usually. So a forester can be seen as a foreman. They usually help handle paperwork and interactions with loggers and landowners. They create management plans that landowners can then use to help guide them in managing their property and their timber over the next 10, 50, 100 years. The forester helps oversee the operation that the logger is executing. In addition, 
foresters can sometimes help coordinate truckers who move the logs that loggers cut to mills. At the end of the day, if a landowner has a question, they can always talk to the forester, who usually knows the answer to the landowner's question. And if not, they know where to find the answer. So for your work, you, at one of your jobs, because you work two different places, you work with an arborist now every day, almost. Um, doesn't mean he's always doing arborist-type things, but you do work with one, and he has an application in that field. But on the other hand, you are a logger who works with foresters every day at the university. Is that something kind of normal that the logger can work with either, but quite often the forester and the arborist, they, the application is always, isn't always there for them to need to work with each other. Yeah, so a logger and forester work together often. Arborists and foresters rarely work together. Mm-hmm. With all this being said, of course, there's lots of people out there that do a little bit of everything. There's many foresters who also do logging on the weekends. There's a lot of loggers who are also arborists. Um, this just gives you know people who work in this industry different options. You usually don't need to hire a forester if you just need one tree cut you know in your in your front lawn. On the other hand, you're usually not going to hire an arborist if you have 40 acres of timberland that needs to be cleared. So it's just different applications, different jobs. With each of these jobs, an arborist, a logger, and a forester, there are certain licenses um, that are required. So in Maine, I know that you can obtain a Maine arborist license, or you can go one step further and obtain an ISA certification, which is the International Society of Arboriculture. For logging, it kind of depends. 95% of logging is now mechanized, which means the trees are cut and processed with machines completely. This is very different from years past, where the majority of logging in Maine was done conventionally, which means chainsaws and cable skidders. You can obtain a certification through CLP, Certified Logging Professionals, for either or, conventional, hand cutters, or mechanical with the machines. A lot of folks get into logging because it is something that they've done in their family or it's something that they kind of grew up around. Um, And because there is so much mechanized logging now, there's not a lot of hand cutters. Those skills are not really being taught anymore. I know there's still a few regional technical high schools here in Maine that have a conventional logging program, but the majority of hand cutters still around were taught it by being passed down from their dad or their grandfather or maybe someone they've worked with. Except for you. Well, except for me. I found an interest in running a chainsaw at the age of probably 12. I bought my first saw when I was 17, and I've, I've had sawdust in my blood for a long time. So it's something that I wasn't really raised up around. Um, Growing up very close out of New York City, I was uh, not in big woods, and I was definitely not not slinging saw forever, but it's something that I've definitely taken interest into, and I've I've had a lot of good mentors, so I've I've been pushed into that path, and it's something I enjoy, and I I take a lot of pride in, so now I'm stuck with it, but... (laughs) There are a lot of folks who are coming into the industry who are coming from different backgrounds. Maybe they've got a a change in careers. 
and for those who want to get into logging but not necessarily what's becoming the outdated hand cutting there is a program put on by PLC Professional Logging Contractors of Maine. The program is called MLOP, the Mechanized Logging Operators Program. And it's basically a 12-week course where you get introduced to a lot of the machines that we get to use in the woods. So there's usually two systems we talk about in the woods, a whole tree system and a cut-to-length system. A whole tree system is where you use a feller buncher, um, basically a giant tracked circular saw, to cut down trees and lay it down into bunches, which then feeds a grapple skitter, a large four-wheel drive tractor with big jaws on the back that pick up these bunches of trees and drag them to a stroke delimmer, which is a long, which is a track machine with a long boom that strips the trees of all their branches, cuts them into length and logs, and puts them into piles for trucks. The other system, cut to length, is usually comprised of a processor, a machine that goes to a tree, cuts down the tree, strips it of all its limbs, and cuts it to a usable length right there at the stump. And that machine is then followed up by a forwarder, a machine with a long crane and buggy behind it that picks up all the wood, bales it on, drives it out to the yard where it puts it into piles for trucks to bring to mills. Through MLOP, you are introduced to all these machines over 12 weeks and although you don't come out a professional you come out being exposed understanding what it takes to run these machines for a full day what it takes to maintain and repair these machines um, and that's a really good introduction for people who want to get into logging yeah and so jack took that class or that program he was part of it not last summer but the summer before Probably that two summers ago so he is a hand cutter but he has also been in the seat of some of uh, before he's been he ran a skitter for another guy and also a forwarder that's the word so he does have some experience with that if you guys want to learn or want to think back to the first episode of this podcast we talked to Corey Eastman who is another logger he's an operator so if you guys kind of remember those conversations that was Jack and Corey and those are both they're both loggers Charlie who is also on that podcast is mm -hmm. a forester do you want to talk about what it takes to be a forester yep I had to take a little pause because Jack needs to find his tree book so we can find the correct requirements to be a forester because we want to give out the right information so we'll be right back so the minimum requirements to become a forester in the state of Maine involve some higher education and some time as an intern forester. You can have a bachelor's degree in a forestry related program and two years as an intern forester, meaning that you're working under an already licensed professional forester doing forester things like management plans and interacting with landowners and contracting loggers. Um, so you can have a bachelor's, two years as an intern, or an associate's degree, four years as an intern. Uh, there are special cases where there's variances for people who have already been foresters in other areas like other states, um, or if there's a lot of work experience, but those cases are pretty far and few between now. Most people coming into the industry now have gone, had some education, worked as an intern forester, and then 
passed their exam and become a full-fledged forester. I feel like we did some justice covering those three different topics just because I feel like a lot of times, um, and maybe some of the forestry students at UMaine get this, where uh, you go to school for forestry and then your family is like, my son's a forester, but he's a sophomore in college and hasn't really done all the extra things just because I feel like the the terminology some people don't fully understand so a lot of people asked if we were becoming park rangers and that was <laughs> not uh not exactly what we're doing no. <laughs> a little bit different um so yeah that's what i have for you guys this week but because this is a natural science daily episode oh, we're gosh. gonna play a little bit of would you rather because jack has also had a lot of field experience like i have and he lives here, so he can't run away and say no. So, are you ready to play Would You Rather? I am. Okay. So, would you rather, just to start off, would you rather have to work on really steep slopes like you did in Idaho uh-huh. or only work in mud? Oh, gosh. <laughs> mud sucks. Mud, mud really sucks. I think I'm going to have to go with steep slopes. It's absolutely nerve-wracking, and it wreaks havoc. On your legs and your ankles and your back, but it uh, it usually results in nice views, and it's much better than coming home soaked to the bone in stinky mud all day long. All right. Um, so this one uh, we kind of talked about when we went on a drive the other day, but I think it's a good one. Would you rather have to work with someone who knows absolutely nothing about logging, but someone handed them a chainsaw and says, "Hey, you have to go work with Jack today," or would you rather work with someone who has cut trees before with a chainsaw but is way overconfident in themselves? Um, I, I think I'm still sticking to my first answer that I said when we were out for a drive, and it's I'd, I'd rather work with someone who has no experience but is willing to learn than someone who thinks they know all the answers. I haven't been in this industry super long, um, but I've had the privilege to work with a lot of people who took the time to really show things to me and walk me through it and and carefully explain things and then let me practice it a bit and then they gave me critique and that was that was really helpful and the reason I guess why I really want to work with someone who's willing to learn and not someone who's overconfident is because they're gonna be more receptive and more willing to do things the way you're teaching them, which will hopefully be the right way. Someone who's overconfident, they already have a skill set. They might be doing things a little differently than you would, which may result in a hazardous situation. Being uh, primarily a hand cutter, I work with a few other hand cutters and we all take the time to make sure we're doing things the right way because if we don't, it can sometimes result in bad things like someone getting hurt, someone even getting killed. So it's a long, drawn-out way of saying I'd rather work with someone who's going to be a little more careful, take their time, and uh, learn how to do it right the first time than someone who thinks they know what they're doing and they may not. What My last would you rather, which I feel like kind of applies to a lot of other natural science-minded and natural science professionals, would you rather have the wrong layers or the wrong pair of shoes? Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather have the wrong shoes than the wrong layers. I could deal with wet or cold feet 
but it'd be a lot harder to deal with a wet or cold body. Mm-hmm. Um, working in the rain, working in the snow, you know, natural resources, we work outside all the time, no matter what the weather is. And if you're, you know, if you're in the wrong with your shoes, it's going to suck. But if you're in the wrong with your jackets and your shirts and, um, you know, your layers and stuff like that, that can result in hypothermia on a really cold day. And that would, that would really suck. So I'd much rather have the wrong shoes on than the wrong jackets. Mm-hmm. So that is uh, all I have for questions for Would You Rather. So thank you for playing along. Yep. Uh, last question. Do you have one piece of gear or equipment that you would recommend to any young forestry professional student like in their first year of college that are just starting that you'd recommend they get? Yep, probably a good pair of boots. You're, once you get established and get your feet on the ground per se, um, investing into two things would be wise. A good pair of boots and a good bed. Because if you're not in one, probably going to be in the other. Uh, we are on our feet all day long we you know as foresters and as hand cutting loggers we cover a lot of ground with just our two legs and having good footwear good ankle support good protection those things pay dividends Um, it really really helps with your back to have good footing good fitting footwear and it really helps when you're working on uncertain terrain even if you're stepping in and out of equipment all day as an operator Having stuff that will help prevent you from slipping is really important. So if you're going to work a job where you're spending a lot of time on your feet, a good pair of boots is absolutely essential. And uh, he's not lying when they say that they're always on their feet because even when we go for nice, calm, leisurely walks where I just want to look for animals and take pictures of birds, this kid is 50 yards ahead of me on like a speed pace because leisurely walks um, don't exist to him. Got things to do. (laughs) All right, guys. So I hope you learned a little bit more today and know when to properly use Arborist, Forester, and Logger and continue to make natural science part of your daily conversation.